evening, everyone. My name is Craig Schneider. That gentleman over there is Kip Fisher, and you are listening to Half Ashed. This is episode number 18, and I am proud to be a part of this and pleased to introduce you to my co-host, and I'd love to pass along the mic to him. How are you, my man? Good. How about yourself? I am happier than most anyone would ever realize to be smoking a cigar and by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I... uh I this is going to sound completely out of left field, but I was uh, security at a dance recital for the last five and a half hours, and uh, as I as I put before we uh, started on the show, if I ever see another eleven year old girl, it will be too soon. Oh yeah, my goodness! That does not sound like something that would hold my interest. Certainly not <laughs> for five and a half hours. Let's let's be honest. If you're a grown man and it holds your interest. <laughs> There are places for you. <laughs> There's a whole slew of things wrong with that. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, nothing like uh, nothing like a little refuge for the soul with a great cigar and good conversation. So I'm looking forward to the evening. Me too. Mm-hmm. And a little nip of something that warms you. I have some lukewarm coffee left here. That's that's about all I got out. You and your incorrectly temperatured coffee. I don't know how you do that. What? Coffee should be served piping hot only. I agree. I don't normally drink it cool or cold. I certainly could never drink iced coffee, but this is just in the process of cooling down, so it's still almost tolerable. I thought that last week or the week before you were saying you had leftover coffee from the morning that you were drinking throughout the show. Oh, I reheated it. Oh. <laughs> I'm not what you would call a coffee snob. We had like three shows that were half devoted to us being coffee snobs. How could you even claim that? No, no, no. I made that disclaimer early on. I like it. I enjoy it. But I will drink just about anything that wakes me up. You're just about the smartest cigar guy I know, and you would also claim that you're not a cigar uh, aficionado or not knowledgeable in cigars because you're way too modest about that. So we can all wipe the slate clean and let's just call a spade a spade. Kip is a coffee snob and he's going to Coffee's Anonymous next week. I am drinking off the shelf New England coffee that is on sale for four ninety nine this week. How many ounces for four ninety nine? Twelve. I just vomited. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, uh, somewhere, Brian from Black Dog Cigar, or Black Dog Cigar, Black Dog Coffee is shaking his head, <laughs> unhappy with you. Well, oh, well. Eh, it's, it was quick and easy, and I needed coffee last night, and I'm certainly not going to Starbucks to get it. <laughs> did we did we lose your rant on Starbucks? We did, and I don't know if I have the energy to do another one now. Ah, uh, that's all right. We probably don't want to do another one in case they're listening again and decide to kill our show this week, too. <laughs> I hate to lose two episodes in a row. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But especially when we've got a fantabulous Cigar of the Week to talk about. It's uh, it's one of my babies. It's one of the dozen or so that I've uh, sent along to Kip as one of my faves, and I am more than pleased. I'm ecstatic to be able to share it on the show. I love this bad boy. It's a Partigas Siri du Connoisseur number one. Now, is this one of the, uh, hang on, let me 
talk a little bit and get yourself back on the screen if you're going to show that. Oh, sorry about that. Well, hello, hello. I'm talking so that way my cigar's on the screen. There we go. Is this a, uh, a limited run? Is it regular production? I, I know absolutely nothing about it. You know that I know nothing. Uh, there's a there's a joke in there about Socrates and recognizing that you are nothing, but I I don't think this is the time and place for that. Um, Once you're over forty, what little you did know is gone. You know, I'm very proud of you. You made the Kip who's old joke this week. Oh, there's another one later in the show. Just hanging out there, <laughs> low hanging fruit. That doesn't count. It's such a softball. Ah, uh, well. This cigar is not a limited run, per se. This was a, a line extension from the Partigas brand. Um, it's just a, a secondary line, a secondary blend, let's say. So there's the traditional Partigas cigars. You have the um, uh, Lusitania, which a lot of people are, would be familiar with. It's a, uh, a double Corona. There's the Partigas Shorts, the Partigas Lonsdale, Partigas the Partigas. There's a, a ton of different um, Vitolas in the standard Partigas line. And then you get into some of the sublines. So this is the Siri de Connoisseur line, which only has three cigars in it. They're all a 38 ring gauge, roughly. I think one may be a 36. And they're just, uh, they vary in length. So this is the number one, so it's seven and a half inches long. Um, there's a number two, which is about two inches shorter. And then the number three, which is about an inch and a half shorter than that. Um, they are all in the, the style of a Lancero which is meant to be smoked slowly, smoothly, um, savored, a very gorgeous aroma to this cigar, um, and an unbelievable amount of complexity, at least to me. Mm, I love them. I would agree so far. I mentioned I had a little bit of a burn issue with the other one, but this one is behaving quite admirably. That's, uh, as expected, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that you had the burn issue. Uh, despite being a of Cuban origin, and despite being a thin ring gauge, I've never had an issue with these. Yeah, it um, would, have, would have been the uh, poster cigar for Bob McDuffie. <laughs> oh, there's no doubt about it. Hmm. Well, the Vitola name is actually uh, uh, Delicados or Delisados. I'm not exactly sure of the pronunciation, but basically a traditional uh, Lancero, just slightly longer and without a pigtail. Um, it's... Uh, Basically, this is perhaps the best Partigas subline. Um, well, it's actually probably the best Partigas cigar, in my opinion. Um, as I said, it was only available in the three lines, and they're all essentially that same ring gauge. And I think the fact that it is the thin ring gauge really helps to to emphasize why this slight tweak to the blend is so successful. It's focusing on, on the wrapper, the binder, and just a few of the core tobaccos that are in there, and really highlighting them, and um, surprisingly, less is more. The thin ring reveals just a ton of flavors from uh, a, a slight, slightly bitter cocoa, um, a gorgeous earthy tobacco flavor. At times, further you get into it, there's a little bit of that charry meat flavor, um, a little bit of spice, a little bit of uh, aromatic wood like a cedar. Really, I, I love these. Mm-mm unfortunate, but uh, this was discontinued, and uh, you are only really able to find these either in extremely small store at shops that have had them uh, for a number of years, or in the secondary market. You always give me these cigars 
to enjoy that can't be gotten anymore. <laughs> well, they can, but you got to come visit me. Yeah. It's cold in Chicago. <laughs> oh, not today. 73 degrees, a light breeze, and sunny all day long. Holy cow, Beautiful. 73? Ah, it's gorgeous today. We actually cooled off quite a bit here this afternoon. Um much more so than earlier in the week. It's been, you know, 90 or a little better all week. Yeah, you don't look like a stuck pig today like you did last week. You looked pretty hot last week. That's just <laughs> terrible that I just said that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to cut that out and save that for later. <laughs> I need mental floss now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I need a mental eraser. Oh, well. Well, this is uh, this is a cigar that if anything is going to make you forget that last debacle of a line, this one uh, might do it. I really enjoy this. I like the Partigas line. Um, Partigas is famous. The Siri D number four is uh, one of the most well-known cigars in the world, quite frankly. And I think, to my palate, this one is a little bit better of a cigar to me, a little bit more complex. So the uh, the Siri D number four is the only other one I've had, and that was recently. From Partigas, and uh, but I did know a group of guys who were just in love. I mean, absolutely infatuated with the Lusitania. Hmm. But I don't think I ever smoked that one. I have uh, I have some older Lusitanias from ninety nine, two thousand, something like that. And most people who who know enough to be dangerous know that ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one were pretty poor years for consistency and construction. Um, but these cigars happen to be pretty fantastic, but next to no strength, which is unfortunate, but, um, kind of one of those things when you're pushing out three times the cigars that you did the year before, and that's right, three times the cigars that you put out the year before, something's got to give. And so you use uh lower quality tobacco or you don't use all your high quality tobacco in, in every box or every day's production. Um, but that's uh, that's for another show, and we don't need to give the haters more bait. <laughs> <laughs> they had a, a storm sometime in that area, didn't they? As well, it took out a, a big chunk of their crops. Yeah, it was it was insult to injury for a while. The increased production and then the decrease in quality uh, stock, um, just a just a whole slew of issues for four, probably three and a half to four years down there. Uh, and many people would say even after that too, but that's that's a pretty uninformed opinion, in my opinion. Yeah. But but that uh, that's about all there is to share about this cigar until we get into tasting notes in a bit. Unless you have anything uh, that hops out right off the bat, or do you just want to jump into some of the news items? Yeah, let's go ahead and jump into some of the news items. I was actually looking for oh, there it is, looking for a picture. Um, yeah, first one up for up the bat. Four bat, hat bat, one of those, uh, what am I looking for there? Oh. Wild Bunch? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I'm off on grammar. Never mind. <laughs> I'm All in right. Rhino. We haven't even gotten to the first word of the first story. <laughs> uh, that's Kip at thecigarme.com. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, the first one lined up there was uh, Eddie Ortega, uh, and I guess it's been kind of Somewhat known beforehand, but it's official now, and he's posted up some pictures of the artwork. But uh, the October Wild Bunch release is going to be the Birdman, who is Ashley Bird. Uh, 
a uh, prominent cigar smoker in D.C., Washington, D.C. He's one of the co-founders of the B&B Cigar Club. And I did not catch any details from Eddie about the blend of this cigar. He he just put some of the artwork up, and and uh, I might even be able to share that briefly if I can. Mm. Um, can you see? Did you, can you see that? Yes, sir. See that 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 is uh, the Birdman standing up front there holding the glass, and that I imagine is some of his crew uh, in the back uh, up there. Like I said, in D.C. Got a a, a uh, uh, the philosophy of their clubs a little different. It's not just a local club. It's a, they they market it or brand it as a, a state of mind. So you could be a member of the B and B Cigar Club and live wherever. Yeah, kind of a a fun thing, you know. They're mm-hmm. close to each other at least through the Twitterverse and whatnot. So, anyway, that's the October release, uh, and we mentioned this in the uh, now infamous which is more than famous uh, lost episode where we uh, i don't know youtube dropped a large deuce on our episode 17 all <laughs> <laughs> <Still> right <coughs> whiskey up the nose is slightly painful in case you weren't aware well, you know if if you got to drown i guess that's a good way as any to do it <laughs> uh Continue, my good man. Um, and we mentioned this on that uh, that lost show that um, Quesada was adding a Corona to this year's release of the Oktoberfest, which really excites me to no end. Uh, I, you know, I have really enjoyed the uh, Oktoberfest and the other sizes, in, in particular that Bavaria, which is uh, I don't recall now. It's five and a quarter ish by. 52-ish, and I'll put those ishes because I'm not sure what the size was exactly without going back and looking, um, and really would have liked to seen it in something like a Corona, so I, I'm anxious to see what that's going to be like. It's going to be pretty limited, though. It's going to be hard to come by. Uh, it's going to be called the Crone, and there's only going to be 500 boxes of 20. Um, not at a premium price. I mean, it is, it's in this, the normal sweet spot. It's going to be about $7.25 a, a stick, so Hopefully, I will have a local shop somewhere that will get at least a box of those in. I can give them a try. Sounds so interesting. It's, what's interesting to me is if you if you do the math and if you think about the the income from a release like this, it's, it's staggering that a company I don't know. It's staggering that, okay, so this entire production at retail is going to bring in $72,000. Wholesale, obviously, less than that. And then manufacture, obviously, less than that. So you do the math, and you're like, okay, so manufacturer getting somewhere around twenty to $25,000. So people need to be paid. So for $25,000, you're making 10,000 cigars, which means you have the production the the uh, the crop the harvest the storage I, I mean that's just that's just staggering I mean how much money can actually be left over after that right what are they possibly going to pocket five thousand dollars ten thousand dollars in any kind of manufacturing when you're doing that that shorter run it becomes absolutely critical that you manage your changeovers and setup times you know they can't roll a handful here and a handful there if you're only going to roll a thousand or ten thousand cigars then you really need to to schedule that at least maybe two runs, but at least 
maybe even one run if you can, just to get them all knocked out. Otherwise, you're you know moving molds around and and refreshing people's memories when they're rolling a if if it's a specific size or blend or whatever. Hmm. Yeah, I just I don't know if it was the fact that this was a nice easy production number to kind of run the math with, but I'm just shocked by that. I mean, I know that there's not money in cigars, no doubt about it, but the Oktoberfest and a Corona release of the Oktoberfest is kind of a, uh, it, it will be a well-received item, but no matter how well-received it is, what can they possibly make off of this? I mean, man, that's just that's just really surprising. And it may, you know, I don't want to speak for them. I'm totally talking off the cuff here. This is just me speculating, thinking, and pontificating. Um, but it, maybe it's just a, a market test, see how well they do, how quickly they're snapped up, and whether or not it's something they want to do on a, a larger scale later on down the road. Well, that is true. Quesada, with a lot of their supplemental release, or, well, special releases, um, they're mostly larger cigars. When I... I'm having a tough time even thinking of more than two or three that are less than a 48 ring gauge. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Hmm. I wonder if this might be one of those. I don't know. I was really hoping that Mexican experiment from Tatawahi was going to be that way, but apparently it's it's just not not going to happen. Not to get too far in a rat hole, but I had read somewhere that, that Pepin had had a Again, my own words. I'll pull a kip here and uh, uh, put a little warning label on this before I say it. But I had heard that Pepin really, truly wanted to be able to work with tobaccos from every respected or known tobacco-growing country in the world um, to be able to come up with a, a good blend that highlighted the characteristics of that country's uh, tobacco. And I was under the impression that a couple of years ago, it was the time when he was starting to work with Mexican tobacco. And you can look and see that there were a handful of releases that did that came out of the My Father factory that um, did have some prominent Mexican leaf in it. So I wouldn't doubt if this was just, hey, let's use the, the TAT blend, the blend that you know really put our name on the map and uh, try to incorporate something with Mexican tobacco with it and go from there. Might have just been... For kicks, obviously it was just for kicks, I guess. Yeah, notably that Eddie Ortega's Siri D. Maduro was from Pepin and used the Mexican San Andreas wrapper. Uh, my probably my favorite Pepin product, the Mia Moore from uh, uh, La Roma de Cuba, is a Mexican wrapper on that, I believe. I think you're right. Yep. Well, anyways, got down into a couple rat holes here before we even knew it, but uh, that's what makes a show a show rather than just a recital. Oh, yep. gosh, recital. Ugh, flashbacks. <laughs> Man, fresh on your mind. Uh, yes, I guess so. Well, how about uh, how about you hit the next one uh, up here? It sounds like it's right up your alley. Yeah, this is, this is a cool story. I, I like this. Uh, um, there are a couple of pipe tobacco blends that are both generations old, both over 100 years old in, in name. I mean, the blend has countless, each of these blends has countless times changed manufacturers and blenders um, and even trademark owners, I think. Um, but uh, Three Nuns and Capstan, and Capstan Yellow and Capstan Blue, 
um, but they have not been available in the United States for decades now. Uh, if you wanted them, you had to find some European retailer that would ship them to you or have them brought back by a traveler, uh, such as I have done. Um, I actually still have a few tens of three nuns in there. and the, These blends were favorites of two guys I like. C.S. Lewis was a big fan of three nuns, and uh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien was a big fan of the capstan blends. Um, hmm. But I didn't know that. Yep. yep. Hmm. Um, McBaron, who is a, a large pipe tobacco blender, blending house, uh, has and they're a Danish company, but they make quite a few blends for themselves as well as some, some farm work that they do for other folks too. But uh, they have a few blends that I really enjoy and a few that bite the daylights out of me. But uh, they are, they've taken over blending, and they're going to distribute those in the U.S., which is cool because uh, that means I, I'm going to be able to easily get them going forward, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, and I believe for the first few months, they're only going to be distributed through um, Low Country Pipe and Tobacco, which is a, a retailer in South Carolina that they have a, a website and do a brisk business, uh, pipe business, and some cigars as well. Um, it's smokingpipes.com. And, uh, again, like as always, have no affiliation with those guys. Um, I corresponded with them many, many years ago when they first started that site, um, 10 or 11 years ago now. Um, but... Um, I have bought from them over the years quite a bit, uh, but I, I I am more than excited to see these hit U.S. shores, although I know it's going to be just murderously hard to get your hands on them for a little while until the, the supply line kind of fills up because these these blends are much sought after, much in demand, and there are people that thought they would never get to try either of them that are, that are going to have you know, access to them now. Hmm. I just... I need to get into pipes more. I just am so fascinated by the idea of vintage pipe tobacco, and I'm fascinated about this idea of, of such well-respected um, and varying uh, blending houses, as you said. The McBaron house, um, their take on things being different or similar to uh, other blenders in the world or, not, or the world over. I just, I love that. It's so... I don't know. It's so different yet similar to cigars. It just would be so unique for me to get myself into. And it's neat when it changes blenders because on top of the already known variation from year to year when a crop changes or whatever, um, there's, there's another factor there. When you change blending houses, there are going to be people that say that blend changed. It doesn't matter if they picked up the tobacco at the old guy's place, brought it to their place, and blended it. It's, people are going to swear it's different. And, and sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Uh, both the capstan blends are um, just Virginia blends. Uh, the I think the yellow is the milder of the two in terms of strength and, and maybe a little lighter in flavor, judging by the descriptions I've seen of it. But the Three Nuns is a Virginia and Perique uh, blend. Don't know that they still use, honest to goodness, Perique from Louisiana. That would have been what was in there originally. Which is a that that particular leaf is a, a worthy of a show in itself. It's a really cool cool process, and I had the opportunity to to buy uh, three pounds of that loose leaf from the the last remaining Perique farmer in the world <laughs> several years ago. I think his sons have now taken over, um, and so they're still growing it. 
but the bulk of what you buy sold as Perique is actually a Kentucky Burley that's just processed in the same manner hmm. to get a very similar tobacco. Um, but it, it actually offers, uh, I'm reading from the uh, end description here, offers a blend of dark-fired, <laughs> sun-cured, sun and lighter leaves to produce a famously mellow smoke. Hmm. We'll see. But uh, I have actually, like I said, three tins that are six or seven years old now that I had a friend bring back from Europe, and I, I will get my hands on a new one and see how it does compare coming out of McBaron. Well, I... Uh... I'll anxiously await that comparison, as I always uh, tend to love those uh, aged versus current production or blend A versus blend B variations. So uh, I'll wait with bated breath. How's that? Yeah, if you dig up that pipe, I'll send you some to smoke. I really do need to dig it up, literally. I need to go through the boxes. Um, well, I want to point out something kind of cool about this cigar again. So... This is something that I, I tend to do on a regular basis. I don't know if you can see on the on the uh, video. Hold the mascara line of your cigar. If you can hold it, you're not smoking it too fast. I can hold that. It's it's one of those where if you're overheating the cigar, you won't be able to touch that end, and it's a good indication of of being able to smoke a thin cigar the way that it's intended to be smoked. If you're overheating it, you're not going to be able to smoke the whole thing down or its flavor is going to transition so much because you're just you're you're overheating and burning the tobacco uh, improperly. So just kind of a unique thing. I did that to this cigar and it was barely lukewarm. Yet that that is information still, I can use. I've never heard that tip before. Still absolutely smoking and you can see it burning. You can see the little glow mark there. So Kind of a unique little thing. That's pretty cool, actually. I'm going to be sitting here trying to burn my fingers all night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on to uh, this gargantuan yeah. and slightly pathetic EPC release. <laughs> if I... Man, slightly pathetic. Huh? Hey, I didn't say completely pathetic. No, it's just for, there are plenty of people that like this kind of thing, but, I, again, I don't think either of us are in the market for it. But uh, I call them wrong. Yeah. In, a, in addition to a handful of other 7x70 ring cigars coming out or already out, uh, E.P. Carrillo is going to do the same in their inch line. Um, mm. They're, uh, I guess, going to sell off 500 boxes worth at IPCPR and have a full nationwide launch shortly after. Sorry, no. I'm I, I'm playing with the aroma of this cigar. After doing it with last week's uh, one of the fire cured from... Uh, Mike Stewart, I'm very intrigued by rumor aroma of my cigars. But that, back to this inch monstrosity. I'm trying to think of how many nasty names I can call it before I smoke it and realize, doggone it, I actually like it. <laughs> it's still not the uh, six by eighty we've got coming out of Christian Eroa in the near future. Well, I, I I can't quite figure out which one I dislike more. The fact that. There's a cigar line called Inch, and it puts out things that are one and six sixty-fourths in diameter rather than one inch. But that's cool. I'll uh, I'll let that go, I guess. I think in the in their three or four initial offerings, I believe only one of those was a sixty-four ring. Actually, I don't know what was behind that. But maybe it was an idea that changed before it hit the market. I don't know. 
Well, and you know, to be honest, it could be something that if we were told the reason, we would like it. I mean, think of the fact that uh, maybe it was put out and somebody said, "Hey, guys, I, I put an extra, an extra, you know, uh, half leaf in there. It is so much better. It's so much more the, the blend that we want it to be. So we're going to put it out at a 70 ring gauge. Uh, it's going to be a better cigar. Are we good with that? Yeah, it's a better cigar. We want to put out the best cigar we can." I'd be okay with it if it was that. I think that makes a huge difference if they say we want to make a 60 or a 70 ring cigar. Let's go blend a 60 or 70 ring cigar. I think you you typically see much more success than if you take a blend you created in a Corona or whatever and then try to figure out how to make something similar in that big a cigar. Hmm. That's interesting. That is also a topic for a whole show. There's, there's serious uh, discussions about how traditional cigar blends um, were created and then how they were interpolated or extrapolated to other sizes uh, or common Vitolas. Um, and it's it's really unique to think of that process, and I'm sure how different it is today. Um, back in the day, I was under the – I was – I had been told – um, and under the impression that this was an industry-wide thing, that cigars were blended at a Corona size because it represented a mix of uh, thick and thin ring gauge as well as long and short cigars. And then you think about today's consumer, and I, they would scoff at a Corona and call it a tiny wee little thing. Um, so I'm sure it's not still the case, but one of the reasons why Corona is so popular um, globally is I think because it offers a, a really – um, unadulterated version of what a lot of blends, uh, long-time blends, really are. But yeah, and I think we'll see more of folks uh, as if this trend continues, where people like these bigger and uh, bigger ring cigars, that they're gonna you're gonna see more folks actually creating blends tailored to that size. Mm-hmm. I, I've I've had conversations with manufacturers when they say that it is so much harder to create a good cigar in a 60, 70 ring, you know, something that's gargantuan. I mean, if you think of it mathematically, I mean, think of your your uh, opportunity for error, you know. I mean, if one of those leaves in that blend or or one of those crops isn't as, as uh, on par as the rest are or as it should be, you know, it's... That's a huge opportunity for failure. Yep, absolutely. And it's tougher to get a, I'm, I'm guessing, I would imagine it's tougher to get a, a wrapper that's going to stand up as well to something that big. That's a good point. You probably don't see very many 64 ring gauge cigars with a delicate paper thin wrapper to them. Yeah. Hmm. Well... We uh we got a new cigar that's kind of a cool little uh thing here called the La Bamba. Mm-hmm. Well, well I, I guess it's an extension. I should yeah. say that. But La, ba- uh, La Bamba is one of those EO brand throwbacks that uh, Eric Espinosa is now in control of. And uh this is the Warhead, six and a half by fifty four, box pressed, Nicaraguan filler and binder, uh Connecticut Maduro wrapper. Connecticut Maduro? Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder uh wonder if there's anything left. This might be a large ring gauge cigar that is uh 
this might be a large ring gauge cigar that is uh, uh, paper thin or tissue thin on the wrapper. If you take a Connecticut wrapper all the way to Maduro face. Yeah, and I'm I'm sharing the little shot of the secondary band that goes on this cigar, which I think is really cool. When you uh, unwrap it, there it's a it's a, a throwback or a, a reasonable facsimile of a World War II era bomb on there. Big boy. Yeah, fat man and little boy, whatever whatever they were called. Big boy and little guy or something like that. Yeah, yeah. we suck. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I guess uh, we have just this week had the, oh, what is it? Is it 69th anniversary of D-Day? Yeah, yeah. Wow, unbelievable. Yeah, I, uh, I don't have any notes in the can on that one, but we'll certainly close out giving our thanks to those fine gentlemen who are still with us and those who are not. Yeah, there are not a lot of them left. No, not at all. Well, uh, La Atelier also has uh, uh, <laughs> who Kip has written on here, with whom he's become quite infatuated. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's true. I uh, adore the Tramp Stamp. I'm not a big fan of the name, but, but the cigar is, is very good to me. I've actually, I, I would probably be embarrassed to say how many of those I've smoked in the last three months. But well, they, uh, unrelated but, to the cigar, I I I have quite the confession. I also adore the Tramp Stamp. <laughs> I was hoping I I was hoping I could get you there. I, um, I I inhaled the whiskey. I was hoping that you'd cough your cigar out. I was hoping I could get you. It takes me a second to think things through. That was funny. I don't know. I don't carry a Tramp Stamp just for the record. Well, That's thank not. goodness. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they're uh, putting out a, a line extension to their uh, their core line, the Extension de la Racine. I guess is how you say that. So it's a French phrase that's uh, the uh, outgrowth or the growth or the extension of the root because it's going to, I believe, maintain the uh, the guts of their core line with a but with a sun-grown Criollo wrapper. And that really is all, all I know. They they just posted a picture up of the box, uh, the packaging, this week on the Instagram feed. Oh, I did catch the size, 5 and 7 eighths by 52, which is a pretty good size cigar. That is pretty good, but uh, pretty good size cigar, no doubt. It's uh, a little thinner than a Sublimus and a little longer than a Toro, a traditional Toro, but... Uh, Probably a desirable size for a lot of people, I'd guess. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a uh, Corona kind of guy, but I, I can handle that. That's not outrageous by any means. The the idea of a sun-grown Criollo wrapper is intriguing to me. Um, it's intriguing for multiple reasons. Um, first, you don't see Criollo tobacco used extremely often. I think it's a... Well, not I think. I know that it's a much less oft-produced uh, or used, manufactured, grown, whatever the term would be you want to use, um, type of tobacco. Uh, years back, it I know it really suffered from um, a propensity of of getting having sickness. Uh, I don't know exactly what it was, if it was just your traditional black shank or blue mold, but um, one of the reasons why it wasn't used in regular production uh, continuously was because of uh, that propensity to get sick. So 
Um, it's kind of nice to see that used here. I'll be interested to see what specific characteristic that uh, lends to that Latelier uh, core blend. Yeah, I know CAO still makes that their Criollo, and was that was the Criollo the immediate uh, successor to Corojo? In terms of varietal, not popularity. Um, I it, it may have been. Um, I get a little foggy when it comes to those uh, those years. Corojo was used from the 30s up until the the mid 90s. I mean, it was it was a workhorse. And then after that, for a number of different reasons, um, sickness being one of them, the other was just the desire to kind of stay ahead of sickness. Um, the uh, I'm going to forget the proper name for this, but the um, the tobacco genetic lab in Havana, um, I won't even take a guess at what the name is, actually. They have been kind of genetically engineering tobaccos and splicing strange strains, and I believe that Criollo was one that had been hybridized to be able to use more often. Um, so that's probably the reason why you'll see it on a you know a number of cigars time and time again, but not necessarily something where I believe that initial Criollo release or Criollo uh, um, varietal is really truly used at all anymore. Yeah, it seemed like it was fairly short-lived before the Habano 2000 or whatever it was came through. Yeah, I, I think it was between 98 and 2000. But there was also a Corojo 98 in there and a Criollo 99. Um, and I believe those years were years that they were actually um, engineered, not necessarily grown. But the Corojo introduction in Cuba... I believe may have been between 95 and 98, but not much longer than that. Gotcha. But I'd love it if a listener was smarter than me and corrected it. There's got to be somebody out there. Yeah, hope e- so. even Even smarter than the great Greg Schneider. <laughs> you know, that would have been terrific. I would have said, oh, shucks, you shouldn't have. But those of you who see the video feed saw the look on his face when he said that, and it was anything from sincere. That is not true whatsoever. My wife accuses me of that kind of stuff all the time. I, I, I'm just apparently a CD character that looks suspicious. <laughs> well, tell Christy I agree with her, because that was the great Craig Schneider. Holy <laughs> <laughs> good grief. Oh, man. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, we got one last one here. Why don't you hit it out of the park? Yeah, um, Nestor Miranda slash La Aurora slash Miami Cigar. It's known by a number of different names here in the U.S. Um, Miami Cigar being Nestor Miranda's company that uh, is their distributor and importer. Um, they uh, sent out a press release this week that they will be releasing the Casa Miranda Chapter 2 at IPCPR. Uh, hmm. I, I like the first one, the chapter one, I guess we call it now, um, pretty well. And th- this one I see is going to be made at El Teton de Bronze, which is a factory that I really like. It's a small little operation down in Little Havana. I'm going to use a dark Nicaraguan Corojo wrapper. And the uh, internal components will be Brazilian, Dominican, and Nicaraguan, mm. which is interesting to me. I, I like Brazilian tobacco, so I'm... I, I, can't wait to get my hands on these two, and they should be out right after IPCPR. 
even retail from six thirty-five to eight dollars a stick. So, again, um, right in, right in that sweet spot. I love Brazilian tobacco. I'll be real intrigued to see how this cigar uh, plays with those. Mm. Mm-hmm. Love them. Oh, and and dark Nicaraguan Corojo. Yeah, I noticed that that they put that on there. They didn't really say anything more than that. Just dark Nicaraguan Corojo. I wonder if that means that the <clears throat> they're attempting to have uh, wrappers, which always or all are going to be a similar darkness, or if that's something to do with a, a reference to like a dark curing or something along those lines. Yeah, um, might uh, try to. Persecute some information out of Barry next time I talk to him. Yeah, be a good source, very good source, I think. Well, that that kind of wraps up our news. Uh, moving right along, what, what do you uh, we've been smoking this week? Well, I uh, as we alluded to last week, and I believe also in the wrap up, I had another Winwood uh, that Honduran Puro uh, that uh, Christian Arroyo has got his. Uh, hands-on. I thought this was a pretty good cigar, actually. It was um, certainly not Camacho-esque if you're uh, someone who's familiar with the old uh, Christian product, but um, mild, complex, a nice cigar to be able to accompany a moment. It wasn't spectacular, but it was, uh, I I hesitate to use change of pace, but it was a a mild cigar that was a good companion, not just a, a side note. That makes sense. Uh, I'm looking at the chat room. Cigar Coop is giving me a correction here. Uh oh. What did we screw up on? Now, he said the chapter two is being made in Nicaragua at my father. Chapter one was El Teton de Bronson. Oh. Good to know. I better check the cigar me. I may have screwed up something there. Oh, that sight. No integrity. Man, what a joke. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to come on the show next week, and you're going to have electrical tape over Cigar Me in the background. Yeah, yeah, and Coop is absolutely right, and the Cigar Me's right, too. I just missed, I don't know what the heck I did. I screwed up something there. Uh, It's a follow-up to the original, which was made in Miami at El Teton de Bronson. Mm. Uh, well, you know, my father's not too shabby with cigars either, so I'm still pretty interested in giving it a try. Thank you, Cigar Coop, for the correction. Well, must love the uh, the idea of Pepin playing with Brazilian tobacco. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's going to be a nice quality product. Yeah, I uh, I pretty much enjoy when he's messing around with any nationality of tobacco. <laughs> well, I... Uh... I'll jump right in here and just follow up with another cigar from Pepin that I've discussed quite a bit and hope to discuss even more in the future. It's another La Roma de Cuba product. The Mia Moore Reserva, yet again, uh, if you're an avid listener of the show, you know that this is one that pops up on a somewhat regular basis in my what else I've been smoking uh, ritual. I'm not a guy who buys a box and smokes 1 through 25 all the way through. Never been me, probably never will be me. Um, these Mia Moors are probably the only Pepin cigar that I would ever consider doing that with, and quite frankly, one of the only cigars in the world that 
uh, I reach to as a, you know, I need a good cigar that's not going to tick me off or fail. I go to this Mia Moore and the Reserva more recently. Just scrumptious cigars. I love them. Really, really I, love them. I do as well. I'm a huge fan of those. Mm. And I actually am completely without at the moment. I need to remedy that next time I'm in Tampa. Wow. I didn't know that. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this because in the last episode I had a... Actually, I must have been in a fairly pissy mood that night. I had a couple of rants. and The second one was about the uh, Serie V Maduro, which I love the cigar, always do, and have since they put those things out for several years now. And the 2012, everything's going along great, and I had a string of just badly plugged ones, and not, not just a little tight, but plugged absolutely beyond smoking. There was, there was no way I could smoke them. And so I, uh, I took one, and since I'm all into the screen sharing tonight. Let me screen share this little picture. This is where I started dissecting this thing. Can you see that on the screen there? Yes, we can. That stem was in that joker. I mean, I clipped it, could not could not draw a thing through it. I mean, it, it was, I don't know that I even could have gotten it lit if I'd wanted to. It, it just couldn't get anything through. And the others I'd tossed, this one I could see that there was a, a sizable stem hanging out the back end where I clipped it and I started uh, pulling that thing out and, and cutting down the side. And, and uh, here, let me back to the screen share thing. Here is the final product, the stick that was in that joker. And I have no idea what the, the, the other ones, if they had this similar thing going on. This was not really compressible. It was making the, the, uh, the bunch pretty tight although it was noticeably denser on one side than the other. Um, I, I, as much as I love the cigars, I'm really disappointed to get a, str a string of basically half a box, because they come into a box, that were just not smokable at all. And, and you know, I, which, you know, when you think about it, that doubles the price of the cigar when you have to throw half a box away. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's a it's a handmade product, no doubt about it. We've always been a, a an advocate of the fact that there has to be variation in cigars, otherwise they'd all be machine made, and um, it, it's just unfortunate and a shame when you run into a situation like this time and time again, five times when it, cig five cigars out of a box of ten have this consistent problem, when we all know how cigars are manufactured they're they're rolled they're uh, put into some sort of a mass storage. They're color sorted, and then they're packed accordingly. They're not packed based on who rolled them, when they were rolled, anything. They're packed based upon their appearance. And so one cigar from roller A and then one cigar from roller F and one cigar from roller Z, they make it into a box, and, and it, it's... It's just unfortunate when you see this much consistency in what should be a completely random uh, occurrence. Yeah, yeah, and then we talked a little bit before the show started or before we started recording about this, and that that you know it's not the rollers aren't rolling and dropping straight into a box, so it's not not likely that one person on one day was just having an issue. It just seems to be maybe a 
a, maybe a more systemic problem, at least within this line. I, I, I don't know. Um, but I, I'm not giving up on them because I really love the cigar. But I, too many more of those, and I'll be done with this year's release. Huh. Well, let's hope it doesn't happen or continue to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's, it's a good experience to have one of those that smokes correctly. Well, let's uh, get on to that second one of yours. I really want to hear about this. Yeah, um, Padilla uh, launched a line quite a few years ago. They just called 8 and 11. It was rolled <laughs> appropriately at 8th and 11th Street in Little Havana. And um, Cigar Coop can probably remember better than me. I think those were also made, uh, those were Pepin sticks, but they were re-released a couple years ago. And rolled at that same little factory we talked about, El Teton de Bronze. They are also in Little Havana. And I smoked my last one of those this week. And, and without fail, though, I, I've had no bad experiences with these. Uh, I love them. They are a little bit bolder, a little bit stronger a cigar than I normally reach for. But I was smoking that and thinking, you know, two or three weeks ago when I was really in the mood for, for something like this, this would have really hit the spot. And... and and it hit the spot this week as well, but I, w- I wished I had picked one, this one up then. Um, and I think I might be able to relocate a few more of those, actually. But they're getting harder to find. You know, i got to be honest. I always pass these cigars up. I mean, I have seen them time and time again at shops, and, and for some reason they just never, ever appealed to me. And I like a lot of the Padilla stuff. Back in the day, I mean, gosh, Ten years ago now, when the Padilla hybrids were out, I mean, I I loved those cigars. Uh, some of his first entrance into the market, I I know in 2004, I believe. Yeah, it was 2004. Um, <laughs> I I had been communicating with um, uh, it, it's Ernie Padilla. No, not Ernie Padilla. Um, yeah, Ernesto Padilla, right? Ernesto, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I had been communicating with Ernesto when he was big on the cigar aficionado board, the message board, um, and so he was going to send me out some cigars, and then one of the massive 2004 hurricanes hit, and a ton of his cigars that he was going to be sending out got destroyed. Uh, and so he didn't actually get to send me the cigars, but he was just an absolute doll about it, and I made a, a an effort to go out and source some of his cigars rather than just try them um, that he was going to, uh, the free ones he was going to send, and I just fell in love. And so I enjoyed so many of his his normal cigars that when I started seeing the 8 and 11 a few years after that, probably around 2008 or so, I believe, maybe 2007. That, that would have been the originals, maybe the the, uh, the newer ones were, I believe, 2011-ish, 2009, somewhere around there. Well, Whatever it may have been five years ago or even the re-release a, a couple of years back, um, I always just overlooked them. And I don't I, – I wish that I wouldn't have, but – Well, you know, they um, relaunched or reformatted the, the entire company last year, actually. Yeah. Shut down production on their four core lines and realigned themselves, and, and I think they're now distributed by Oliva. Uh, Oliva makes some of their lines. El Teton de Bronze makes uh, some of their lines. And I had some of the new ones at IPCPR last year and did not regret any of them. 
And my local shop carries just a couple of them. Uh, the, the Maduro Reserva, I think it's called, and don't quote me on that. And I've had a few since then uh, from there, and they're great cigars. They're, they're again, they're full-bodied to my taste, full, full strength, full flavor, just good solid cigars, but not something I could wake up in the morning and fire up without getting a little queasy. Hmm. But good smokes. Hmm. Well, and this next one will touch it back on uh, Cigar of the Week from a few weeks back that we both had great experiences with. Hopefully uh, 2013 will allow us to continue that good tradition. Yeah, I uh, uh, ended up, I had other plans to make a cigar event that fell through last night. Hey, was it last night? It was last night. It was. And uh, ended up just uh, taking the wife, having dinner, and she being the best wife in the world said, hey, why don't we go to Tampa Humidor? I was like, okay. <laughs> Twist my arm. Uh, went over there and I grabbed a few sticks, and, and one of them being the new uh, short run from EP Carrillo, uh, the 2013. And it was more akin to the 2011 than the 12, to me anyway. The the 12, I wasn't a huge fan of, um, but it, it it was a very good cigar as well. It, it, it was a little sweeter, a little uh, more pungent, kind of uh, ripe, fruity sweetness to it. Um, very good, definitely worth buying to me. And, and as has become my practice, I will be laying those aside. Although the, it doesn't seem to matter how many I buy, they all get smoked pretty quickly. <laughs> it's funny how that goes with cigars, huh? Yeah, out of sight, out of mind, and all of mine seem to be in sight. Well, they, except for you and these Cuencos that you had, the you always seem to be loving those bad boys. Still do, and I I made it through my last one this week and tweeted a picture of it and said it was time to reorder, and the Quinkas answered back and said, well, you're going to have to wait a couple of weeks because we're out right now. So so I am without for the next couple of weeks at least, And uh, but I, I have priority. I'm going to be buying those as soon as they come in. And I understand <laughs> sometime soon there's going to be some new sizes of those, some smaller Vitolas. Oh, so I'm I'm gonna give them all a try. I like that bigger one, but yeah, which for me was a big cigar. It wasn't outrageous. But it was maybe seven and a half by fifty-two ish, fifty-four maybe even. It's a big bellicoso. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and it's box press, which takes some of that back. But but uh, I I would love to see that in a robusto or a Corona. Where is that manufactured? Uh, AJ Fernandez makes them. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I knew that. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. And the last one I got on there is something you will not hear out of me very often at all, ever, whatsoever, in any fashion, at any time. But I did it. I had a Fuente experience that, that was not 100% positive this week. <laughs> <laughs> and, Come on. Be mean. You know you want to. It's killing me, but it is what it is. I had actually had a couple opus. One of them was a Taurus, the bull, uh, which was came through one of their uh, uh, fundraising packs activities, and so it's a fairly expensive cigar. It was actually given to me. If I had paid full retail for this thing, I would have really been upset because they 
I retail these out of Tampa Sweethearts for about $45 a stick. And, um, but it, I don't know what happened to that. It was just a, just a, a wonky burn. It, it didn't taste right. It, it smelled odd when I took it out of the, the packaging. It, it, I don't know. It, something was odd about the cigar, but came from an absolutely reliable source. It wasn't one of the fake opus that floats around. Um, I mean, a diehard close friend of Carlito's actually gave it to me. So it didn't, it was genuine, but I did not have the best experience with it. And I have one more of those, and we'll see what happens whenever that one comes out. Well, that's too bad. I am certainly not an Opus guy, but probably at no fault of the cigars. But uh, it's unfortunate when it does seem to be a an irregularity in the smoking experience with a cigar such as that. Yeah, and, and you know what? When it happens every once in a while... It can be bothersome if it's something you dropped a, a good amount of money for. But something that seems to be a pattern really gets under my skin, something like what we were just talking about with the Oliva. But uh, I will grant the Fuentes a little grace here. I've been smoking their cigars for 20 years, and and not just an occasionally, day-to-day smoking Fuente cigars, and I could probably count the bad experiences on one hand and have fingers left over. Uh, that's a pretty strong statement. Yeah, otherwise I would not put the, their brand on my arm. <laughs> that's a very good point. Well, I, I have to admit, um, I I have been looking forward to this next segment uh, since last week when we didn't cover it, and and I've actually uh, – I've actually salivated a bit in the last five ten minutes just thinking about how juicy of an opportunity this is for me to make fun of you. So why don't I, why don't I give you the opportunity to introduce this and I'll uh, try to restrain myself. Two times last week, <laughs> I uh, saw one in type and one verbally. Had two people call the CAO Brasilia an old school cigar, meaning that been around for a long time, like you know, they they were going old school by smoking that cigar. And I was like, I, I was speechless. I was, I cannot be that old that this is, a, this is now an old school cigar. It seems like it, it just launched, you know, recently. I don't know how many years ago it's been. It's, I guess probably close to a decade at this point, at least seven or eight years. Twelve, but, I think. Oh, come on. It's not been 12 years. I'm fairly certain 2001. Man, that makes it even worse. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 uh, I had moved to Florida and recently kind of gotten back into cigars. I went for a period of time where I didn't have any local cohorts. I didn't know any people when we first moved here, so I didn't really smoke cigars much. And, and had met a few other cigar smokers. And, and I remember plainly, as if it just happened yesterday, going to a, a local shop here for the launch of the Brasilia. <laughs> it just seems so recent. I can't believe it's been 12 years. That 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 is amazing. Uh, I'm going off a of memory with 2001, but when I remember it being introduced, uh, it had to be between late 99 and 2003, and I would say it was earlier than 2003, uh, most certainly earlier than 2003 and probably earlier than 2002 because I remember the CAO America coming out just after it 
Mm-hmm. Or, I'm sorry, the CAO Italia coming out just after it. And I also remember the Criollo coming out just after it. Yeah, actually, at, at the, uh, an event right after that, I won a box of the uh, Criollo. But it, it just seems, that seems so foreign to me because I had been smoking cigars for a long time, stopped for a period of time, maybe a year and a half or so, and then it just gotten back into it. So it, it was not like I just started smoking cigars when that thing came out. That was That's the halfway mark for me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's now an old school cigar. Uh, so, yeah, I'm older than you think. Oh, no, I think you're pretty old. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, so it wasn't that juicy of a softball that I yeah. that I uh, took advantage of, but it was a pretty good one nonetheless. Get off my lawn. <laughs> oh, the best part about that is, is you're sitting in a lawn chair on a porch right now. I'm actually sitting in an office chair on the porch right now. <laughs> that makes it so much better. You spend so much time on your porch, you need a more comfortable chair. <laughs> Ergonomic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I even got a swivel. I got in trouble for swiveling in one of those early shows. I started getting the text from the wife. Hey, quit moving around in your stupid chair. I love it. Uh, It makes me feel even older than before. (laughs) Just wait until your beard starts going gray. Starts. Oh, oh, geez, Kip. Come on, man. Actually, my whiskers are still dark. I'm getting a good bit of gray on the temples, though. Yeah. That's all right. As long as I don't mind if it turns gray, as long as it doesn't turn loose. Amen to that. <clears throat> I swear, every time I get my hair cut, whoever cuts it makes some comment about, oh, you're not going to go bald for some time. Why not that's yet. related to this show, and I decided to bring that up, I'm not quite sure, but... <laughs> My wife's dad uh, is bald and went bald at a fairly young age, and uh, my wife was telling my my son that there's a chance he could go bald when he gets older. And he's like, I don't care. If I do, I'm going to have a big dragon tread tattooed on my head. (laughs) (laughs) I love kids, except for 11-year-old girls. I never want to see another one. (laughs) Well, (sighs) the only other... uh, thing in this segment I had on there was uh, a thank you to Dan Lawson, who signed up with CRA this week and used my number. He sent me an email, and then I later got a confirmation email from CRA. So, Dan, your uh, cigars will go out in the mail Monday. You know, and uh, this is a a great tie-in to a question I was thinking about over the week. Um, I believe there was someone who became a, a lifetime member of the CRA, and made mention of it on the show or in the chat room, something like that, and I told them that I would send them some cigars. Uh, I believe that I sent them out, but I never heard back, and I don't have my confirmation. So I just want to make sure if I was going to be sending you cigars for your lifetime membership into the CRA, uh, let me know if they never showed up. I would absolutely love to uh, replace those if you didn't get them. So. I, I think that was Officer Paul, and I believe I do remember him saying they had arrived. Oh, good. So I, I think they got there. I wouldn't swear to it. Hey, Officer Paul, just tell him they didn't show up either way. You know, some more cigars <laughs> on there. Well, I'm, uh, I'm not 100% positive if it was Paul, but that does seem to ring a bell. So, either way, Paul, you're a cop. Be honest. <laughs> Tell me the truth. Uh, 
Or were a cop. Oh, no, you are still a cop. Yeah, well, he is the chief of police, actually. Yeah, I, that that's definitely a cop. Who lives three hours from the nearest cigar store, which just gives me chill bumps. Uh, somebody should be persecuted for that. <laughs> well, anyways, we're... Uh... We're over an hour into the show, and we haven't even gotten to the meat of our conversation yet. So what do you say we bust out some of these emails? Uh, let's do it. We have two that kind of go together, um, and I, I rearranged those from Dan Crouch from D.C., as we know him, and who we now believe is Mikey Real. I apologize, Mikey. Uh, I think we were saying Miley because I thought that was what I read on your email address. Um, but uh, anyway... Dan had a long list of recommendations. Just you want to kind of start jumping through those? Sure, sure. Um, so if you listeners recall, Enzo uh, was a gentleman early on, or earlier, I should say, who um, experienced some problems with cigars, uh, leaving a kind of an awkward taste in his mouth for a long period and then um, using different um, types of toothpaste to try to help alleviate the issue, and then uh, we think that the use of Sensodyne may have actually exacerbated it. So a lot of uh, a lot of back and forth. If you listen to some old episodes, you might get into it. So Dan's email's email talks a little bit about that. So one of his suggestion number one is smoke smaller cigars and smoke them slow, thus taking less puffs. That will equal longer enjoyment but less smoke in your mouth, which certainly could... Uh, uh, lessen the aggravation. Two, pretty simple. Hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Use water before, during, and after you smoke. It's what the body wants and needs to rinse, and may, uh, and a rinse may help post cigar. Yes, I said that right. Yeah, I said that definitely right. You sounded like you were just going to say something after comment one. Um, no, I just that my that was just my facetious look again. Pretty bad trying to uh, take a snap at a fly as it went past you? I was getting a drink of cold coffee. Oh, okay. Oh, now it's cold coffee, not even lukewarm. Well, it is an insulated cup. And it's probably 90 degrees in Florida, so it's darn near hot. Yeah, it's a pretty comfortable night. I imagine it's, I don't know, 75 or so. Oh, that is pretty comfortable. Yeah. Um, item number three from Dan is... Very plainly, he says, dumb as this sounds, if you think you're having a minor allergic reaction, you may want to just take one Benadryl an hour before smoking. Um, that certainly is a solution, though I don't necessarily know if we would endorse that if uh, his body is rejecting the cigar smoke. I don't know if we want to dumb his body down so it doesn't have its natural reaction, but you never know. Maybe Enzo is really committed to smoking cigars and he just needs a solution. Maybe uh, Benadryl might put you to sleep. You know, take that too. Yeah, you won't be able to smoke the whole cigar, so you'll have less of a problem. <laughs> May catch your house on fire or something. <laughs> uh, my dad always used to say, uh, you know, when somebody would, like, hey, let me give you a tip. Or would, when someone would say a silly comment like that, my dad would always say, what, don't smoke in bed? <laughs> that, that would be his... his Constant retort for that statement. Don't spit in the wind. Look both ways before you cross the street. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that that about sums it up. But um, uh, comment four from Dan is: I'm pretty sure he already did this, but take a breath from a break from cigars at least three weeks. Let your mouth heal up. That's 
absolutely a necessity. Anytime you've got a, you know, I'm no doctor, but anytime you have a, a an issue, if you just keep doing the same thing that gave you that issue and you can't heal up, I can't imagine you're going to get the best results in whatever it is you're doing. Yep, I, I would agree entirely. And finally, number five, if you think your toothpaste isn't helping, don't use that kind. Yeah, and I think he changed that as well. Oh, yeah, that Enzo changed that. Yeah. Right, right. Um, Dan goes on to say, I don't know about your teeth, but I know that toothpaste on the whole is just an abrasive element uh, and sweeteners slash fluoride. Um, try using some baking soda uh, and dampen it with some water. It won't help for sensitive, sensitive teeth, but it is the original toothpaste, um, so he claims, which I believe is the case. Um and then he uh, closes up by saying, I don't know, Kip, maybe you already covered all this, but it sounds like uh, the dude should consult the dentist and also a smoker uh, to avoid a biased diagnosis. Probably a good idea, but I do believe that Enzo had uh, some comments about that uh, already. I think he did talk to his dentist, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think so. I think that was how this kind of started, was the dentist noticed some irritation in his mouth. I um, think that sounds right. Hey, just as a side note, you know cigar ash makes pretty decent toothpaste, right? I've heard that before, yes. <laughs> used to do that camping. Cigar ash works brilliantly to brush your teeth and clean dishes. <laughs> the cleaning dishes is just awesome. I'm totally going to have to tell my wife next time we go camping. No, no, honey. I'll clean the dishes tonight. Wait, don't, don't empty that ashtray. <laughs> No, no, I, I can't do the rest of the dishes. I need to smoke down another quarter of an inch. Give me a little bit. I'll wash the next plate in a second. <laughs> and our uh, other email was actually the uh, email that garnered the win for a giveaway for Mikey. Um, that he, uh, he was also writing about uh, Enzo's dry mouth issue. He says, I'm I'm no expert on these things, and I'm sure with, all, with a little research, you, I could sound a lot more learned about this, but I think it's got something to do with the amount of, P, of pH in the cigar versus Enzo's genetic pH. Kind of like when some people can't use certain shampoos. Since ammonia is present in the curing process, it could produce varying levels of pH. Just a thought from my pea brain. Cheers and keep up the great job. Um, this is actually the source of a lot of speculation in pipe smoking because there are blends that two different people smoking the same blend and similar pipes <laughs> at the same time and uh, same cadence. Well, one of them will love the blend and the other just have their tongue fried. And a lot of that speculation comes from the pH because the pH of smoke varies even even from a a blend or a cigar. And uh, so yeah, maybe, maybe so, I don't know. And it may be that there is a cigar out there that, that is something more in line with what his body is physiologically looking for in a cigar. I think that that's probably uh, probably the most logical option we have to deal with here. I mean, quite frankly, what's the what's the constant? You know, the constant is him. He seems to have changed quite a few things, and uh, um, you know, you have a lot of variables, and you still have a similar result. Look at what your constant is. That constant might be the thing that you're testing for. It is the thing you're testing for, and and uh, pH. Might just be how it boils down, but I don't know what you do about it. I mean, 
you know, if you think of this like baking, you can add certain uh, leaveners or things like that that can balance the acidity or the pH. Um, you know, I don't know if you can do that with cigars, but what you might be able to do is play with the pH in your mouth. Um, you know, have an acidic drink while you have the cigar or have a drink that's that's slightly more of a base, you know, um, or eat a meal that's slightly more of a base or something along those lines. I would imagine that you can play with the pH of what you intake into your body uh, either while smoking or just prior to and, and really test this theory pretty easily. Yeah, but exactly. Just a so, guess. Yeah, so what we're basically saying, Enzo, is we don't have a clue. We're, we're just shooting in the dark. But <laughs> hopefully it'll work out uh, for you because it sounded like uh, from your last email you've got quite a collection of cigars to go through. Well, and keep us posted, too. I mean, if nothing else, this has certainly shown that this topic has been uh, intriguing for us as well as some listeners. So it's kind of goofy, and I'm, you know, just being a heck of a, a geek about this stuff, I'd love to be able to have some resolution here just to know for my own uh, benefit. Yep. So uh, next email we had, and, and bear with us, folks, if you're not into email because we are catching up from the past couple of weeks. Uh, we did have some we covered that we're recovering. Uh, but uh, the next one's from Joel Scott. Uh, he says, the other day while herfing with some buddies, I brought some cigars that were quite soft to the general squeeze. One of the guys suggested I dry box the cigars for a few days before smoking. Would that help? Also, I'd appreciate knowing the ins and outs of dry boxing <laughs> from a couple of ex <laughs> experts like yourselves, which, again, has made me laugh out loud when I read that. We yeah. should we should virtual high five for having somebody fooled on that one. <laughs> Woo! Okay. <laughs> uh, I uh, I I read this email when it came in, and and quite frankly, I kind of sat back and said, "Didn't we talk about that?" I don't remember if we talked about that on this show or not. So refresh my memory. Did we did we get into dry boxing at all? I don't think so. At least not in any depth. And now my I've Screwed up my focus on my camera here. I'm there. We go. The You're back. My, yeah, I'm back. I, I I look like I have my contacts in again. Um, I don't think we did it, <laughs> it, it with any depth. Uh, I personally don't really do much in the way of dry box and cigars. Uh, I keep my humidors all at sixty five percent, and that that seems to be a a good place for me to hang out, and and it seems to work uh, the best I can tell. I haven't had any complaints. Well, I, I've, uh, I've done my fair share of dry boxing, and it's been for all reasons uh, across the map. I mean, you get fresh cigars, you get truly fresh rolled cigars, or you get cigars that are um, uh, going through a, a sick phase or a transition of some sort, and you may throw something into uh, or take something out of humidity and just kind of let it dry out a little bit or modify slightly perhaps air out is a better term for it as well um there's a, a whole slew of reasons why you may dry box quite frankly when you have a cigar or a series of cigars that are extremely soft um i i, I would probably lean more towards changing your storage methods than anything else unless this is just a one-off cigar that's just very soft um and then at that rate, you need to know a little bit about that cigar. When was it rolled? Had it been molded or not? Was it in a mold or was it an unmolded cigar? Unmolded cigars are 
always spongy. Always spongy. Um, so there's a, a series of things that, that kind of factor in here, but quite frankly, I, I don't really dry box anymore. It's not a resolution that I always use in one situation or another. Um, I think it's kind of a popular option or a popular choice because some people may like the flavor of a cigar better when it's just slightly dried out um, or drier, I should say. But I, I think this certainly would be a... Uh, a discussion to have in a little bit more depth, but as of right now, um, I, I'd say there's a couple other variables you may need to know before uh, dry boxing is definitively the answer here, but more yeah. often than not, your storage perhaps needs to be adjusted. Yeah, especially if it were cigars you've had in your humidor for a while that you just brought with you to the gathering, uh, and it's kind of like um, mold remediation in a building. If you can clean, kill, and do whatever you want with mold that's growing, but if you don't eliminate the source of moisture, it's going to come right back. Mm-hmm. So so dry boxing may be something you would do with cigars you receive from someone that are a little moist or have you know whatever going on. But if it's your cigars and your humidor that you've had in storage at your house for a while, you may want to take a look at you know, realigning or readjusting. A, you know, calibrate your hygrometer and check and see what your humidor's running at. Yeah, the the idea of calibrating a hygrometer might be a little uh, ominous to some people, but it's pretty simple. You can just do a Google search for a salt test. Um, Basically, there are are certain uh, ways that you can figure out an exact RH, uh, an exact RH level depending on your normal room temperature. And then depending on how your hygrometer reads in comparison to what that um, definitive RH level of for an environment that you can create, um, you'll know, oh, my hygrometer is reading at 77% humidity and it should be 70%, you know, or vice versa. Oh, it's reading at 63, but it should be reading at 70. Oh, so I know that my hygrometer is 7% low generally or something along those lines. So. Uh, that might be a real easy way to, to do that uh, calibration. So yeah. much simpler than you think. One other little rat hole side note is um, analog hygrometers are notoriously hard to to keep in line. Even if you get one nailed down and you think you know how, how off it is from actuality, they tend to wander. And they're, you know, you get for 20 bucks, you can get a very good, digital hygrometer that will stay more true. Yeah, no doubt about it. Oregon Scientific is a, excuse me, a great brand of uh, hygrometers. Or do what I do. Get yourself some high-quality beads, some high-quality Soka media, and you never have to worry about calibrating. You never have to worry about using a hygrometer. You know what humidity level you're going to be at. Yeah, as long as you treat your beads properly. Uh, I've seen some experiments recently and comparisons made and and you know they were they were poo-pooing the idea of beads and i'm looking at the results and i'm looking at their pictures and it was clear that they were taking a bowl of beads and filling it with water and rather than just moistening the beads they were filling the thing up with water i was like yeah you're going to get 100 percent humidity out of that <laughs> uh duh uh-huh well, the uh, the next one's a short and sweet from a gentleman by the name of Jared. Jared uh, says, definitely 
do a show on size and Vitola history. Um, I would love doing this. I think it'd be kind of a blast. You could talk about your own uh, preferences, how uh, the market itself has kind of shifted over the years from being massive in the 20s to small in the 30s, 40s, and 50s to slightly enlarging to more traditional sizes like a Corona and Lonsdale in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and then all of a sudden jumping back up to this idea of, uh, uh, boy, I was going to make this not a family-friendly show for a second, rather large, thick, long cigars. So um, yeah, I think that might be something we can try to do, at least make it a segment, if not a whole show, but uh, definitely a lot of fun there, no doubt. Yeah, and whenever we get it around to this pipe show we've talked about, uh, we can do the same thing there because pipes, the dimensions of both the bowl and the body have changed radically. Uh, I have pipes going back over 100 years, uh, basically the first half of the last century and then sporadically in the second half of the century. I have some examples, but early you know, 100 years ago, pipes were tiny in comparison to today. They were much more like, in size, they were more like the little things you find at the gas station that are meant for other smoking purposes, um, <laughs> just tiny little pipes and, and you know, cheroot holders and that kind of thing. And then in the late 80s, early 90s, you started this trend of having just cavernous freehand pipes out there and everywhere in between. Hmm. It was just what was all the rage or the fad for the day. Well, so, Skip, how about you hit up this next one? Yeah, Izzy sent us an email to uh, Skip and Craig, which, which is funny, but uh, I do. Uh, <laughs> Another example of Kip and his uh, his slightly veiled sarcasm, which oh, is no. funny. I um I will actually answer to pretty much anything that answer that rhymes with uh, Kip. Uh, I, I think I may have even shared this on the show before. I worked for a man once who. Had everything just fine for months that I worked for him, and then one day something in his aged brain clicked, and he thought my name was Chip, and he wrote emails to Chip despite the fact he had to click my name on an address list that plainly spelled out what it was. He, and that's what he called me from then on, and I just went with it. Uh, he retired after a, a really bad heart attack, but I, I'm sure he's long dead by now, but that guy... Whatever reason, I became Chip, and so I'll answer to anything. <laughs> uh, well, what does Izzy say to the three of us? Um, uh, blah 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 blah. Oh, one, he has a request. Please try to get Bob and Dale on the show on the show more often, and also Liz, if possible. And as we've said before, that invitation is always open. Uh, I actually, trade emails with with Bob a couple of times this week, just checking in, see how they're doing, because I hadn't talked to him in a while. Seems to be doing well. I did the same. A week ago, and uh, did invite them onto the show after this email was received. And uh, Bob and Liz, I think, uh, accepted. Just kind of waiting for a date at this point. So that should be a very easy request to fulfill. Cool. Uh, and he had a question: What do manufacturers mean when they say seconds or overruns or even fresh rolled? Is this an accurate description of the cigars or just advertising deception? And we kind of mangled and ran all over this email in the lost episode because we had some other technical issues going on, too. Uh, so now maybe we can put an actual answer out there. Yeah, I think that would be uh, pretty easy to do. And just in case the Starbucks people are looking to kill the episode again, I'll make this brief. 
Um, I, I think that seconds or overruns can be a number of different things. One, it can truly be a second um, or a, a cigar that was perhaps rolled by a, an apprentice or someone who isn't as uh, learned as a, an average or a normal roller. Um, two, it can be a marketing ploy, so that way someone who has uh, some company who has acquired a large source or a large supply of uh, uh, a certain cigar at a very bottom-end price, you can mark it as a second, say, oh my gosh, it tastes just like the regular thing, we're going to sell it to you for $2 a stick so as to not undervalue the original cigar um, or the the cigar that this actually is. Um, and then there's a whole slew of other marketing ideas or thoughts or ways that it can be played, but I think those two are probably the most often uh, seen. Yeah, the uh, the most creative of these kind of things I've ever seen came out of Rocky Patel. He... he... <laughs> counterfeited and seconded his own cigars, which was hilarious. He, I think it was The Edge. He um, said they were they were so good, there were people making knockoffs, so he just started selling his own knockoffs of his own cigars. Ah, Rocky. Where would we be without you? I'll tell you what, there'd be a heck yeah. of a lot less people who smoke premium cigars without Rocky. Something like the fourth Rocky or fifth Patel. largest manufacturer in the world? Uh, he is regularly in the top three when they put out the numbers, wow. the production numbers each year. So he sells millions and millions of cigars. And there have been some over the year. I've the years I've actually enjoyed. Um, not not a whole lot in recent times, but you know, there's some good ones in there. Oh, that 15th anniversary when it came out was just splendid. Yeah, uh, Tampa Humidor, uh, again, my local shop, had had a huge Rocky Patel event, and Rocky was there, and there were hundreds of people showed up for this thing, and, and it was for the, the launch of the 15th anniversary. And, and I agree, I liked it quite a bit. So, Jason Taylor, next on the list, he uh, says, I've just started to smoke pipes and have a question about storing pipe tobacco. I know that the temperature for storing cigars is around 70 degrees, and that helps with keeping cigar beetles from forming. Is the same true for pipe tobacco, or is the processing that this type of tobacco goes through get rid of the beetle eggs in the tobacco that can hatch above 70 degrees? Um, I can't verifiably make a promise that that's the case. Um, I'm going to say that the bulk of pipe tobacco is steamed and pressed at some point in the process. So that kind of goes a long way toward that. But again, you can always re-expose the tobacco. And I I dug around online last week and only came up with one person in one instance where they had beetles that had devoured the contents of a tin uh, of pipe tobacco. And in actuality, when I went back and read his story, he had opened that tin and put the lid back on it and stuck it in a, a... closet in a box with cigars. So who knows, maybe he recontaminated the tin or whatever. Uh, I have been smoking pipes for a very long time. I have many hundreds of tins put away and have been through many, many already and have never seen a beetle in in pipe tobacco. You know, doesn't mean it's not a possibility, but I live in Florida. My house regularly is well above 70 degrees. Otherwise it would cost me a fortune to, to cool the thing. Um, 
So, you know, I keep them in a cool, shady place, relatively speaking, but I've never had trouble with, with the pipe tobacco. Um, could it happen? Absolutely. Is, is it a, as common a problem as cigars? Not in my experience, anyway. Well, I'll uh, I'll add a little footnote that I'm sure is going to tick a lot of people off and make a lot more people say that I don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, that sounds like every other day of my life. So um, I think that the the comment here that he's got about beetles being able to hatch when in a, an environment that's higher than 70 degrees, um, I think that that's kind of a, a an often assumed um, law that is probably more of a uh, uh, a suggestion more than an absolute tried and true uh, 100% uh, certainty. Um, I have a friend of mine from the past who was actually working on a theory that beetles actually will hatch um, more in line with uh, barometric pressure changes than actual temperature changes. There are some people I know who swear that it's um, humidity levels. Uh, I definitely know that there are some people that say it's temperature, but I've also known of studies or examples when beetles have hatched well under 70 degrees. Um, so it's it's probably uh, one of those solutions that we just haven't found an actual uh, true reason for yet, um, that no one has found a true reason for yet, but some good options to stay in the clear are don't have um, major spikes in any sort of uh, environmental uh, uh, capacity, be it barometric pressure or pressure if you can change it, uh, or if you can control it, I mean, um, temperature or humidity. So, And generally try to keep below 70 degrees and below 70% RH. I think that most people would agree that the more extreme the environment, the more likely it is to occur. But yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if it was some combination of those three factors that, that, that brought them out of their shell, so to speak. Yep. And, brought and them into their shell. Going back to the recontaminating tobacco, if you live in the U.S., there's a large part of this country that those beetles, if, if not native, they at least are commonplace and live there, and they'll get into flour and grains and other things as well, same insect, and so... Don't think that just because you have cigars that are clear that they can't be, that you can't carry them into your humidor either. That's a good point. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Huh. Makes sense, but I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, and, and not, not that that's an easy thing to do. I mean, they're not just crawling all over the place, but, but they do live in the wilds through much of the country. Hmm. Well, there you go. Insidious, insidious little jokers. <laughs> well, they, they, you know they they do sell those traps too, the little pheromone traps. You can get those for about ten bucks and stick one in your humidor if you're worried about having a problem. Um, they they sell a couple of different kinds. One is pheromone based; it smells like a female and attracts the males. And the other is food based, and it attracts the females that are looking for food. They make larger versions of those for humans as well. And we call them restaurants and bars. Uh, I think there, there used to be a place, uh, I think it was Fink's down in Texas that sold those. Uh, otherwise, you needed to be 
ready to buy wholesale in large quantities, but I think Finks used to sell individual traps. I didn't know that either. Um, next, we got uh, we only got a couple more here. Actually, we're at, we are doing well on time. Uh, next email up here is for uh, from David Gale, and you did talk about this a little bit in uh, the infamous Lost episode uh, regarding your discussion of beads and kitty litter. I thought I'd mention that I found something similar and much cheaper than those packaged and sold as humidor supplies. Home Depot sells micro-grow water-storing crystals, and they look and... Miracle-grow. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I say? Micro. That's okay. Yeah. What, I can't read either. I'm I'm, I'm far away from the screen. You know, I'm old. I can't see this. (laughs) And they look and seem identical to the gel beads I bought from Cigars International. I make my own containers and, through trial and error, figured out how much my cooler doors need to maintain a proper humidity. I'm wondering if you or your listeners have any experience with these. Well, um, yeah, I do certainly have experience, not so much with the miracle Grow water-storing crystals, but with those uh, the generically mentioned gel-type crystals that will expand once you put water into them. Um, first and foremost, I think that this is absolutely not the same product as what you'd get in the, the high-quality beads that we've discussed or kitty litter. This is actually a, a, a product that expands in size and, at least in some formats, is actually squishy. Um, it's, I've had some bad luck with these. These tend to be a one-way media um, where they're, they'll absorb the water when you put them in water or when you put water in them, and then as they release that moisture slowly out into the environment, it's more like a, a, a mad dash. That moisture is coming out of them, and it's just getting thrown into the environment in spades. Um, it's not slowly being released to hold on to a constant environment. Um, so I've also had some issues where a, a truly gorgeous milled aluminum um, uh, case for these beads, I actually saw, um, after I moistened the media, I actually saw these uh, beads poking their way through and expanding so much that they were forced out of this milled aluminum container. And um, I had that container magnetically sealed at the top of a desktop. And so these beads were literally shooting out of the top of the, well, what would be the bottom of the container and falling onto my cigars that were in the, the humidor. So it really was kind of a, uh, uh, an unfortunate, instance and it soured me very very much on uh, this type of media so just one thing to be aware of though not to say it can't do a good job it's just it's not as user friendly as what I would prefer to use gotcha I am busily messing up the text in our notes here Uh, the next email from Chad Miller I am going to save for next week because I have just totally screwed the pooch here and not did my homework for him um, Chad, I will answer you this week through email, and then we'll talk about it a little bit next week um, about some pipe tobaccos. I failed to do some research and have any educated recommendation. there. That's no problem at all. And the next one, we had uh, another one from D.C. this week uh, from Dan Crouch, and this, this kind of popped up this week. As many of you may have seen, that CRA uh, launched a, a new campaign where – I guess it's citizen co-sponsors where 
it's similar to getting signatures on a petition where they have people, real life citizens, actually kind of sign on and be a representative co-sponsor to uh, you know, a bill here or there. And um, he says he got a CRA alert in an email and went to act on it, but couldn't. And here's why. Uh, the email basically wanted to let me know to go to some new government site, cosponsor.gov, and click on my support, HR 792, click on my support of HR 792, which is CRA's bill about cigars and co-sponsor it. However, to do so, the site forces you to use a Facebook account. I don't use Facebook and have no real reason to start, so they just lost my support on this particular matter. Now, don't get me wrong, I wrote my reps and have a CRA membership, but it's a, mem it's a membership CRA, not Facebook. That'll just have to be enough. Did either of you get the email, and also did you participate? What are your thoughts on this new ring? Uh, my thoughts are it's 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 uh, a, the app that manages what they're doing there is a Facebook-based piece of software. Uh, it, it is a Facebook campaign, so that's the reason it requires you to, to use that. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was meant to be exclusive or anything. It just, that's the way that particular campaign works. And so that's the way you have to, to sign up, to sign on to use that. Um, it's not going to eliminate the other things they're doing to, to gather support with signatures and all. It's, it's not going to change any of that. It's just uh, another tool to use to, to get some awareness out. There's, there's a billion people in the world on Facebook one out of every seven people in the world it uses that media. And when you think of the amount of people who don't even have access to a computer or the Internet or um, wouldn't be able to have their own uh, personal usage on a computer, perhaps we can say, um, the idea of using this app, this, this front, to be able to spread the word and kind of get this out there doesn't seem too out of the ordinary or perhaps unnecessary. It actually seems like it might be a nice way to reach people um, or communicate with people. But I tend to not really do very much using my Facebook account other than literally communicate. Um, I don't log into other sites through Facebook or, or different things that you can do such as this. Um, so I tend to agree with you, Dan. This wouldn't be for me. I would, I would do this as a as a do what we're talking about here, going to the cosponsor.gov site, um, uh, truly as a a way of communicating uh, with my legislators, um, and it's unfortunate that it needs to happen in this manner. That uh, this sort of consumer advocacy has to take place on Facebook because there are some of us who don't want to do it, but I can understand the reasoning for it. Yeah, and. And it's not that they're, like I said, changing their whole approach. This is just another tool to use, and, and they're happy to get whatever sort of support in uh, whatever format or, or uh, avenue you, you have available and, and you would prefer. No doubt about it. Well, we've come to that point when we've finished with our uh, our user emails and kind of wrapping up a lot of the communication from the last week and a half from the listeners. And it occurs to me when I see the big, bold, capitalized, highlighted orange note in our notes that uh, we need to discuss this Siri de Connoisseur again. And I even hesitate to use the word again because 
We've never even really given tasting notes on this or thoughts. No, we haven't. I actually have put mine down and, and lit an undercrown at the moment. But you can kind of see there how much I had left, and it had uh, given the uh, the old signal that it was it was about finished. And uh, I did manage maybe to get a little quick with the cadence at this point. It was getting just a tad hot, absolutely nothing unpleasant whatsoever. Um, I really enjoyed it, and it, it it did have those cedary high notes throughout most of the cigar is what I was getting. And, and I maybe stopped short of saying woodsy and say it's more a specific cedar kind of flavor I was getting out of it. Not as much of the uh, sweet and sour kind of interplay that we've had in some of the other uh, Cuban lines we've, we've had on the show, uh, but absolutely pleasant. Loved it. Well, I I, um, I love the finish, well, the final third of this cigar, I should say. I'm down to probably two inches, um, and I we're going on almost two hours of smoking this cigar. Um and I've had to relight it once, but it was it was my fault, not the cigars. Um, still have not overheated, and this cigar is starting to get to the point where it's showing its its best for me. Um, there's a, a almost a chocolate cream, like if you could imagine chocolate milk, but in a much heavier consistency and body, um, maybe like a chocolate mousse or something. There's a, a really really tasty, chocolatey, cocoa-y flavor as this cigar closes out its life, and I, I really dig that. Um, I don't get that from a lot of Partagas cigars, but I do get that from the Sierra de Connoisseur, um, and it's one of the things that I like the most about it. I do like that that kind of sweet cit or sweet um, cedary flavor. I definitely think that, that, uh, that that's here. There's a, a nice, crisp tobacco flavor, which is just kind of a I hesitate to use the term generic because generic usually doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't convey enjoyable or unique. It just conveys there. But a generic tobacco-y flavor that, that I, I really like. Um, maybe I don't have the palate to pinpoint it beyond that. But those of you who smoke cigars on a regular basis, you've, you would probably recognize this flavor as something that just is comforting, you know. Yeah, and, and what you're kind of hitting on there is is what I was getting as, as well with the uh, that chocolatey flavor, and, and not a not a deep chocolate, not a uh, not a high cacao dark chocolate, more of a sweetened chocolate, but but it had a tangible mouthfeel, just like it was almost uh, the the coating left behind by a, a dairy product. You know, when you still can kind of feel the finish as much as taste it. You know, I, I say that this cigar only went out once, but as I was just giving some of those tasting notes, it went out again. <laughs> you it, know, uh, I uh, I had to relight mine a couple of times, and I think that was because I was just talking more than normal maybe tonight. Yeah, you were yapping a lot. Good for you. <laughs> Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> yeah, I have a moment here and there. I get to rattling. Well, this is uh, this is a cigar I really enjoy. I'm glad that you were able to have it, and I hope that uh, at least the second version was an enjoyable experience. Yes, thank you very much. Oh, of course. Of course. Well, next week's Cigar of the Week may be uh, a bit of a TBD, but as of right now, I think we'd love it if we could uh, 
uh, incorporate a Monte Pasquale onto uh, onto our smoking regime here. So you may just be able to hear us talk about that. One of the um, new or newer, kind of hot of the moment cigars uh, uh, that we're going to introduce here, or perhaps reintroduce you if you've been a Dog Watch listener. So. It's an all-Brazilian Puro and uh, really a cigar that I know Kip and I both enjoy. So hopefully we'll be uh, bringing that to you next week. If not, we'll certainly uh, let you know as long in advance as we can because next week is our live show of the month. Or Uh, I should say our scheduled show of the month. Yep, 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 yep. I I was looking at the date and thinking, oh, man, this is the second week of, uh, oh, wait, it's Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) That's correct, yes. Yeah, it is a live show, and I did grab a couple of Monte Pascals last night just just in case while we were down in Tampa. Excellent. Well, we we talked a little bit about Brazilian tobacco tonight earlier in the show, and we'll talk a lot about it if the Monte uh, Pascual is is, uh, what we definitely do settle on for next week. Uh, an all-Brazilian Puro uses uh, either Mata Norte or Mata Fina tobacco. Mata Fina, obviously, uh, much more commonplace in the market than the Mata Norte, but um, the Norte really tends to, I think, give the Monte Pasquale some of its unique characteristics and also, uh, I believe, really kind of hit up that sweet and savory, sweet and sour combination that uh, you've talked about so um uh, exclusively as something you experience when you've had Cuban cigars. So, yep, exactly. <clears throat> so, wrapping us up and moving right along, I'm <clears throat> kind of losing my voice. I guess I did talk a little much. Um, as another reminder, uh, as we do so often, if you have a suggestion or a submission to make as an unbanded, uh, which we try to do at least once a month. Uh, where we have no clue what we're doing or smoking and make idiots of ourselves publicly, and, and we're good with that. Uh, but if you got a, like I said, a su- submission or a suggestion, you can email those to info at thecigarme.com, and that uh, that's a forwarding address that goes to my wife, so I don't see those. <clears throat> and if you send a suggestion, she'll uh, contact one of my cohorts to go source those, or if you have a submission, you can send it there, or if it's just a submission, you can send me an email at kip at com or craig at craig at com and um, we'll hook you up with an address to send them to. And um, like always, we're thankful to the folks at Cigar Federation for hosting us, letting us hang out over there and, and uh, stream the video and, and the show live each week. And uh, already given the email address, you can go to com, get all the... Uh, Information on half ash, how to contact us, email, Facebook, Twitter, the whole nine yards. Uh, it's all on there. Uh, just a drop-down menu across the top of the page. You can find a, a half ash page that gives you all that information. Well, I, I, I want to kind of jump back to the SIG Fed discussion a little bit. I just want to give a shout-out to the CigarFederation.com boys again um, for just kind of opening up uh, another corner of the cigar world to both Kip and I. I've had a lot of communications with um, some people from House of Emilio recently, uh, specifically Nate McIntyre, Director of National Sales, and just a a hell of a guy. I really, really got to sit down and have a cigar with him in soon because I really have enjoyed uh, 
talking to him and laughing with him over email and phone and text and all that jazz over the last couple of weeks. So I uh, wouldn't have that communication and that connection and that friendship without uh, the boys up at Cigar Federation. So good people, and thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate uh, what it is that you help uh, Kip and I and do for Kip and I on a regular basis. So heartfelt thank you. Yeah, and a big hoo to Eric. Or Chris, I'm sorry, not Eric. Well, um, also, uh, as Kip had said, feel free to email us as at those addresses that uh, he shared. But, you know, find us on Facebook, Twitter, SigFed, uh, wherever you want. We, we're available in probably more places than we should be. <laughs> um, <laughs> but definitely want to uh, remind everyone, uh, listen to episode 17, 17B, however it comes up, um, for details on our current giveaway. We've got... Um, uh, a couple sampler packs from Mike Stewart, the gentleman who was on the show last week with us, though you likely haven't heard if you were trying to download the show. Um, uh, before the episode was lost, Mike gave away just a, a plethora of priceless details on uh, how to uh, source, blend, and roll your own premium cigars uh, at home. To, uh, you buy great product and, and really be able to come up with great product on your own and just have a blast doing it. So uh, Mike's a loyal listener of the show, and he's been a friend of the show for a while now too, and so he offered up a couple different samplers for us to uh, very happily share with our listeners at the end of June. So all you need to do to log in or to participate in this, I should say, is to send us an email. Communicate with us some way, shape, or form. And... Uh, uh, you do that, you get entered into the drawing, and you never know. You might uh, you might be able to walk away with one of two samplers of some pretty darn good, completely custom, completely one-off rare cigars. So not too many other guys in the world have this chance, so and you might be able to. Absolutely. And uh, I think you had a, uh, a uh, dedication to roll through as we sign off. Uh, absolutely. Without question, um, the menu gave their lives and uh, perhaps didn't give their life but gave their dedication uh, 69 years ago, 69 years, two days ago on June 6, 1944. Um, we all owe a debt of gratitude that is unable to be repaid, no doubt about it. Um, there's no doubt in my mind we wouldn't be able to be doing this podcast right now. We wouldn't be living the way that we live right now if they didn't do what they did. So. Uh, I know that there's a million different people in a million different places in the in the world that need to be recognized for doing something amazing. But tonight it's the veterans of D-Day. Thank you, gentlemen. I mean, I can't even come close to expressing how much we appreciate it personally as well as as a nation. So from us to you, thank you. And uh, from our little corner of the Internet at Half Ashed, we want to say have a terrific evening. Hopefully... Uh, a few of you guys are still out there and kicking and listening, and uh, we're putting a smile on your face. That's what I hope. So from my house to yours, from Kip's to all of ours, uh, best to you. Have a great night, and until we speak again, good night, everybody. <laughs>